welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 96. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we are, uh, from our listener's point of view, right on schedule. But uh, from our point of view, we are back from a big break. <laughs> uh, Steve enjoyed his uh, honeymoon with his new wife in France. <laughs> uh, so uh, today we are excited to be back and we're going to be discussing Next Gen's sixth season episodes, uh, Relics, Schisms, and True Q. And here we go. <laughs> Relics, Season 6, Episode 4, Production Number 230, Original Air Date, October 12, 1992, Directed by Alexander Singer, Written by Ronald D. Moore, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include James Doohan as Montgomery Scott, Lene Chapman as Sariel Rager, Eric Weiss as Kane, Stacey Foster as Bartell, Ernie Mirish as Waiter, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. The Enterprise answers a distress call and encounters the USS Genolian, which crashed 75 years ago from the tremendous gravitational force known as a Dyson Sphere. However, the crew is surprised to discover a survivor hidden in the ship's transporter. Captain Montgomery Scott has survived for three quarters of a century by keeping himself suspended in molecular limbo in the ship's transporter system. The crew beams, beams the exhausted veteran back to the Enterprise, where being the chief engineer of the first USS Enterprise NCC-1701, he is dazzled by the ship's 24th century technology. The Enterprise. Show me the bridge of the Enterprise, you chattering piece of... There have been five Federation ships with that name. Please specify by registry number. NCC-1701. No bloody A, B, C, or D. Ah, relics. Um, who wants to start us off on this one? Caesar, you're a big Scotty fan, I remember. I, I like Scotty just as much as anybody else. Um, this, yeah, this episode's fun. I mean, you know, if you think about it, I remember going back and, you know, we had um, McCoy in the very first pilot episode, but it was only, you know, brief, you know, you know, visit from him. So this is kind of the, you know, and we had Spock and now we've had, um, you know, Scotty here. So it's, they're fun episodes. Um, so I enjoyed it. It's, um, it was a clever way to bring Scotty back. Um, you had this Dyson sphere, Dyson sphere theory. Um, so it was, a, I kind of felt it was a kind of clever writing to figure out how to keep Scotty surviving for all the time. Hmm. Steve, what are your first thoughts on relics? Does it, does it, does it hold up for you guys? Well, I, I you know, it's one of those, it's, it's, it's easy to geek out being a Trek fan, you know, when you have the continuity and you mm -hmm. have a original series character. And I remember that's that, that's what I think of, of course, is how cool it is to have that tie-in and so forth. Um, I, I think, I think um, as far as it holding up, I think it's hard to be unbiased in that when you have an original mm -hmm. series character in that. But I do think that it sometimes it seems a little like um, obvious, you know, like kind of just 
you know, we're talking about somebody who feels useless and so on and mm-hmm. and that kind of I mean, you know, that kind of theme and that's that's all it is. And and you know, the one thing I thought of early on in the episode was the notion of why aren't they more starstruck that it's him? Yeah. They should know that. And why isn't it more of a novelty? I know it's Star Trek and like everything is normal, but it's like, oh, you know, here he is and and then he he seemed to not be um as concerned about the fact that, you know, everyone he knows is dead either. And it was interesting to see that there was a deleted scene with Troy on the on the Blu-ray that yeah, we addressed that, that second note for so little. many years and it yeah. was nice to finally see it. But yeah, it has that line where it kind of addresses that. Yeah, yeah. But um I guess those are my initial thoughts on it, I guess. You know I mean yeah, it's it's hard to, to to be objective because, for example, if I try to imagine somebody that loved Next Gen but had never seen, now, so I'm not just saying just somebody that doesn't even watch any Star Trek. I mean somebody that watched all of Next Gen but had never seen the original series. Um, I think this episode would, you know, it would lose a lot. Um, obviously, but I'm saying almost to the point where I'm not sure if it. I I, I mean it would work on the most basic level. Um, because you you try to watch it as a Geordie episode, I guess. But I think that this is this is the time when we can make that exception. You know, I think Unification Part Two is the time where we can we can make that exception. You know, um, so I'll tell you that the thing that stood out for me the most. You know, I mean, of course, the the greatest scene I think we'd all probably agree is is when he goes back to. The 1701, the original ship's uh, bridge on the holodeck. Um, everybody loves that scene. It's an incredible scene. It's amazing that they pulled it off. They obviously had to cheat a little bit. They used some footage from the original series, and then only they could only afford to build half the bridge. But they did it, you know, and it works, and it's really great. Um, but what what's what amazes me is how watching Next Gen. And this is the early '90s, and and you're looking at it. If you if you if you just turned up turn the channel on your television and saw all of a sudden saw an episode of the original series, I think it would be you wouldn't be so sure that these would connect so well. You know, mm-hmm. um, not just that the original that it was 20 well probably 25 years um, uh, earlier over at this point, um, but but that. Everything about television had changed so drastically since the 60s. Uh, and everything about culture, everything was so incredibly different um, that it's hard to imagine that bridge. It's hard to imagine Picard sitting on that bridge and thinking that it wouldn't, it wouldn't just immediately take you out of it and make you realize you're watching a TV show. You know? Um, now, if we contrast, say, that, that bridge with... The J.J. Abrams Enterprise Bridge, you know, that's even more extreme, but I think that's making the point. So what I'm getting at here is what blows me away is that he creates that bridge on on the holodeck and he walks into it and I don't laugh. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it works. It, it barely, but, but, it, but it works. Uh-huh. And Picard comes and sits next to him and I can think, yeah, this is an, this is an Enterprise that's 80 years earlier than the one outside that door, you know, and it's the same universe and stuff, and, and, and it does work, and that's the most amazing thing to me, because 
without this episode, I'm not sure I would have believed it. Even in DS9, a few years later, Trials and Tribulations, it works there because they're they're going into that episode almost. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here, here, it's a lot more immediate. The connection with the Enterprise—it's—it's it's an Enterprise in an Enterprise. He's walking from one to the other. Yeah. You know, um, it's the old Scotty. You know, the 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 modern time Scotty for you know, um, this next gen walking into that old bridge. Um, so it's not like going into that other episode. I think this is a better test of that ability to hold up, and and, and it does, and that blows me away. Um, I I wanted to comment on that a little bit. Maybe I talked about it too much. But no, I, I was really struck by that. I was really struck mm-hmm. by that. Yeah. Well, I think I mean we throw around words like iconic to such an extent that it doesn't mean much of anything. But I think like the the bridge of the original Enterprise is. I don't I don't think we can. Um, exaggerate really the uh, influence it's had and not just on Star Trek but I mean you know it's so ingrained and I don't think just for Trek fans obviously for Trek fans more but it's 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 I don't know it'd, it'd be like there's nothing unusual about um, a character walking into any any kind of a historical place that we've all seen a million times or some kind of natural um, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to think of an example, but you know what I'm saying. Things that are just part of this planet and part of our culture that we see and know, and it's just that's that's life. That's nothing unusual about that. That we're all you know what that looks like, and so on. And I think the Enterprise Bridge is is kind of like that. I think that's that may be why that is, and it's a testament to those who designed it, and and so on too, and, and how they integrated it into the episode. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, it's um the Enterprise, the original Enterprise Bridge is um. It's, you could almost say it's part of pop culture, that it's recognizable. It's not just, we just don't see it in Star Trek anymore. You see it in parody. You see it in different TV shows that are, are trying to emulate that. So, I mean, it's, it's well, ingrained. It's, it's, it's been around so long, and it's so subconsciously influential that you look at something like Ron Moore's Battlestar, which is... Not exactly yesterday, but still pretty recent, you know. And he was to the point where he was purposely trying to—he was going out of his way to be like, "I don't want to view screen," you know. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, um, that that bridge was probably more realistic to to what a actual, you know, that he had, looked like he was modeling that after like a bridge of an aircraft carrier of a modern. Of what yeah. we actually have today. I mean, you go, you look at the bridge of any warship today. It doesn't look any. It's it's all congested, and you know, it's there's not like a. It doesn't look like a command structure how they have it set up on the bridge of the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. You know, where there's a hierarchy kind of how they have it set up. Um, you know, you have the captain's chair in the middle, and the office. You know, everything is kind of, everything is revolves around the captain, especially especially on that bridge because um, Kirk's chair was even higher up than say Picard's or. Or any of the other captains, um, Voyager, Janeway was level with the rest of the crew. So, and that bridge in particular, I mean, maybe you could say the bridge of the um, the newest Enterprise from the movies, Picard um, was more more central on that bridge. But definitely, definitely, um, Captain Kirk was the center of attention on that bridge. I think I think uh, I'm sure someone's done it before, but I'm sure there's a relationship between you know the nature of what the bridge looks like in whatever era of Trek and and the, and the times you know how sure it ties time, together. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. and I also think it's it's uh, 
it says something about this episode that we're more interested in talking about the bridge of the Enterprise than we are the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the this episode. Did you listen to the new uh, commentary on the Blu-ray? Yeah, I did. I did. Mm-hmm. One of the interesting things on there, and, and I've heard Mike Okuda talk about this before, but uh, you know, is that the way that um, so that the, the, the original series and the movies the original series era, but movies, the 80s movies, uh, defined the color scheme for Next Gen Bridge, for example. Mm -hmm. You know, um, that because Roddenberry wanted it to be different, that limited them in a way, that helped define it in a way. Um, So I think that that's kind of interesting, because, yeah, you talk about the cultural influences of the day, um, that kind of earth tones almost from 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 enterprise d bridge you know Mm -hmm. and everything's being so lit that seems like like an 80s kind of thing and then you get into ds9 uh and the next gen movies and that 90s era and stuff starts to get darker and darker um not just you know figuratively but Mm -hmm. uh, literally Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah. Until you get to the like the Abrams movie, and it kind of looks like the inside of an Apple store or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, so yeah, it, yeah, it, it all ties together. <laughs> Everything's <laughs> helping. <laughs> um, to go to a point that um, Steve made earlier about, um, I thought I felt the ending was a little anticlimactic, and I thought there was a little bit too much self-loathing. You know, it's like you know, u- mm-hmm. uselessness, and you know, I, I think maybe they they spent too much time there mm-hmm. with with Scotty. You know, I, you don't remember the character. You don't remember. Scott Scotty was a do was a doer. I mean, you know, so there wasn't a lot of moping. So that I think they spent a little too much time there, and they could have been a little bit more gotten into more of the more of the story of Jordy and and uh, I would have preferred them to get into that storyline a lot sooner than they did. And they, I felt like they spent too much time like looking at you know the usefulness of of Scotty. They shouldn't have spent that much time there. Well, the one the only thing that kind of bothered me in there is I almost felt like LaForge was uncharacteristically short with Scotty. Mm. You know, like, I understand they wanted to create that drama, but I just, it just didn't seem like Jordy to me. Yeah. Jordy's a little bit nicer of a guy than that. He, he was, he's nicer, he was nicer to Barkley when Barkley was screwing up, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I felt like that felt a little bit uh, uncharacteristic for him, just, just how far he went and how kind of short and mean he was. But other than that, you know, I don't mind when a story, when the story is a little bit, you know, obvious. I'm, I'm, I didn't mind that here because it was, you know, interesting character stuff. And if we just tried to be incredibly objective and divorce ourselves completely of our love and nostalgia for the original series, this episode is probably just okay. It's not bad. But... I don't think it's fair to ask them to do that. I think that in many ways, this, if you're going to do a, you know, I remember Berman and Braga said, like, the last episode of Enterprise was a love letter to the fans. I'll save my, my, my well-known disgust for that episode for another conversation. But if you're going to do a love letter, this is how you do it. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, I mean, you got the you got the, you got the bridge of the Enterprise, of course, Scotty himself. The you first time you see references to the oh yeah, time, the music, the, the transporter effect, the, the original series transporter. Yeah, effect. I didn't remember that. I got I, I like I like got a, the biggest smile on my face because I, <laughs> I did, totally didn't remember that at all. You know, 
Yeah, there are multiple references to specific episodes of the Oh, episodes. yeah. I mean, you sit there going, it's like a trivia game or something yeah. <laughs> during those parts, you know? Um, it's green. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> that makes me laugh out loud. Even if sort you don't of. realize the, the, the reference, it's still funny. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Caesar? I don't know. I was going to ask. So, what did you guys think of the end? I kind of felt it was kind of, well, we're just going to give you a shuttle and let you meander off somewhere it's in the universe. Abrupt, but. Yeah, I see that. But if if I step if I if I'm not trying to think of it, analyze it as an episode of television, just as as a story point in the overall universe of Star Trek that I love so much, I do love that Scotty ends just I'm gonna go out there and, and you know, find new adventures. I think that's really cool. I've always always loved that. I've always loved that as a concept. But it uh, definitely feels abrupt. That the, the, his saying goodbye to Troy feels funny since that scene, the deleted <laughs> scene, isn't in the episode. That's always been weird. It does make me chuckle though <laughs> that he doesn't say goodbye to Orf. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he has always like the nice reactions. He did. He, you know, he just kind of has the jilt to the side when he walks yeah. every time he walks by Worf. <laughs> and that's a funny thing too, because I'm, I'm sure we that I'm sure Jimmy Dillon was not watching. Next gen, you know, he didn't. <laughs> he did not know the politics of. He probably didn't even realize the show was eighty years after original well, series. You know, I doubt it. Um, but he's a good actor, you know, and, and there was, I'm sure there was a line in the script, and and he plays it, and it's funny. It's good, you know. Um. So I mean, there's lots of. Well, let's just let's say a couple more when we're talking about it before we get on the other stuff. But the, uh, I still laugh out loud. No bloody A, no bloody B, no bloody C. Mm-hmm. You know, we all remember that. That's probably the most memorable thing from the episode is him before he goes into the holodeck, him just standing in the hallway saying a line. That's pretty funny. That's yeah, pretty funny. He has the best drunk look on his face, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and just in general, him walking around tipsy with a bottle certainly reminded me of a couple of episodes of the original yeah. series. Um. Yeah, no, I mean, there's so many things we could we could talk about there, but uh, I also want to make sure that we talk about um, just as a concept how cool the Dyson sphere mm-hmm. is. I mean, it's absurd, but it's really cool. Yeah, I don't kind know of, that it's. Go ahead. Yeah, they kind of mentioned in that commentary how they almost feel like they wasted it on an episode where they knew they'd be focusing on Scotty and so on because it is such a. An interesting idea that you'd want to explore further somehow. Yeah, every time I watch this episode, I'm like, I want to see more. It's <laughs> like on the inside, they don't. Yeah, but it's, yeah. you know, they basically, you know, basically, it looks like the Death Star from the outside, and once they get inside, they don't really show that much. Yeah, but if you think about just the sheer scale of it, mm-hmm. you know, the Death Star would be a speck on that thing for sure. You know, it, it's it's almost too big. Um, if they wanted, if they pulled out far enough that you could see the whole thing, you wouldn't see the Enterprise right in front of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, so I don't even know what all you'd do with it, but you could do, you could, you could set a whole show on the damn dice. Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Yeah, I was, I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, maybe they should have made this a two-parter, and then we could have had like a civilization in there or something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, if they made it a two-parter, they could have afforded to do the whole bridge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how Enterprise came up with the money. Mm-hmm. They just split it up. Between two episodes, mm-hmm. yeah. um, you know, doing is—he's old here, and, but—and I know they said something about he probably even he had some cue cards and things. I remember seeing him the 
when, the first time I ever saw him in person was around this time. And he was just, he probably still always was, just literally the nicest Trek celeb I, I ever saw. I, I can't think of a time when I saw someone that I thought was more friendly and genuine with Star Trek fans mm-hmm. than when I saw this man in the mid to early 90s, something like that. Yeah, he was at uh, the first Trek show I ever went to, him and Maria, Marina Spears. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a very nice man. He was. Um, of course, he's, you know, a decade later, he's going to be very different thanks to uh, Alzheimer's. But I did go see him. I think I've talked about this before, but I went and saw him the very... They shouldn't even... Honestly, I kind of wish I hadn't gone or that they hadn't done it, but they, they did, like, a farewell convention that they'd made just for him. Are Marie speaking of this, yeah. Yeah, and it was 2005-ish in L.A., um, and they said he they just he wants to do one last convention, but he was so gone in his mind that I mean he didn't speak. They rolled him out every couple of hours in his wheelchair, and he was smiling. And people would take pictures, and that was it. I mean, he never spoke, but everybody was there. Um, and that was the one time I saw um, Neil Armstrong. That was kind of cool. Hmm. Anyway, but I, I was I, I just kind of felt like. Maybe they shouldn't have done that. Eh, that's a separate mm. conversation, too. <laughs> Anyhow, um, back to this episode. Um, I also like the the scene, of course, with um, Data, Synthetic Scott, Synthetic <laughs> Commanders. We don't think it's green line, but I just like the synthetic bit, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just structurally, it's pretty, it is pretty on the nose. I mean, it's pretty uh, simple and... Um, but but by the time you get to the end, I enjoy seeing those two engineers working together. Yeah, yeah. You know, I enjoy that you can really get the sense of their differences. In a way, it helps. You know, we talk about what when you bring on a guest star, um, even one as revered as Jimmy Doohan, when you bring on a guest star, you want it to further our characters. This furthers Jordy maybe just a tiny bit, but mostly for me what it does is illuminate, yet again, the differences between the original series and Next Gen and help more in a more focused way define this show just by showing us the differences with these engineers, you know, um, in the way that, that Scotty says, I don't want to take command. I just want to go be an engineer. You know, and and you remember the first season, uh, Jordy wasn't the engineer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, he, the, it's it's a job that he's good at and he likes, um, but he isn't a, you know, it's not in his blood the way that it is for Scotty. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's, I mean, it's a little thing, but it's um, uh, it's it's important and it's worth spending some time. So I like that. I like that scene with the two of them together. You know, nah, it's a bit manufactured drama, but that's that's fine. That's what it is. It's a show. Um, probably going over a little bit on this one. That's okay, because uh, it's so good. But um, okay, the last thing we got to talk about is uh, just that kind of conversation between Picard and Scotty on the original series bridge. Um, you know, uh, they they. I 
I really like that, and this is something else that, that I, th I think that was in the commentary, right? Where they talk about, uh, more talks about uh, giving, you know, showing, showing Scotty say, hey, I was on a lot of ships, but this was the one that I was, where I was the first time that I was chief engineer. Mm -hmm. So I always, it always have a special place in my heart. And then Picard doesn't say, you know, I have a special place in my heart for the Enterprise. He says, I have a special place in my heart for the first ship where I was captain, and that's the Stargazer, and it's not the Enterprise. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really great, because, again, talking about, you know, like for me, my love for Star Trek is is in the, the reality of the Trek universe and living in it and stuff, and that, and that um, further legitimizes Picard as a character. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um. So I really liked, really liked that one. That moment. I wanted to make sure to mention it. I assume you guys are, you guys would say that's probably the your favorite scene in the episode. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you remember the first time you saw that seeing the original series bridge like that? Because that's one of the few things I do remember the first time I saw this episode, just for that scene. You know. Yeah, I do. I, I remember. It was, it was yeah, it was. <laughs> I just thought it was it was way cool that they did that, and I didn't at the time. I wasn't really pondering the mechanics of it or what they built and what was green screen and so on. But uh, I, um, yeah, I did enjoy it. Well, Steve, you were you were a next gen fan first, and then came into the original series, or no? Yeah, kind of. Um, I know we talked about this more than once, but it's hard to remember. Yeah, I mean, my I remember growing up, my dad watching uh, the original series in syndication, but I didn't like pay much attention, you know, to it. And I did see some of some of the movies the first time they came out, but more because my dad was into it. And then I started watching Next Gen faithfully, and then I caught up somewhere in in the first couple three years. So yeah, so but by this time certainly I was I was uh, familiar with the uh, more than familiar with the original series and I appreciated the the context and so on. And Adam, you came at it from the other direction, right? You were original series first. Yes. Yeah. I watched um yeah I watched the original series after Saturday Mass every Saturday. Right, Saturday Mass. Okay, so we kind of cover both sides of it. All right. Well, I'm really glad we had this episode. It was really great seeing it in high definition. Mm -hmm. it really was. What's this episode about? <laughs> uh, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with it being, uh, you know, the the old guy who seems to be discarded by society. We've seen that done in this show before. Um, he finds a, a new lease on life, and you know, it's a simple uh, theme. It's a theme we've explored before, but I don't, I don't mind that. I'm okay with it. You know, uh, maybe something newer would be the relationship between the two engineers. Um, what do you guys got for what it's about? Yeah, I mean, I would agree with something like that. And earlier, I was mentioning how I thought it was kind of on the nose and so on. But it, they, like we said, they get away, they get away with it because it's Scotty and it's bringing that original series crew member back and all that. But it, yeah, I think it definitely the focus is, uh, you know, people. In a place, you know, people are in a place where they feel they're not useful anymore, and how to how to handle that, you know, and so it's, it's a complicated issue. Caesar, yeah, I pretty would agree. This the storyline's pretty simple when it with with it's set up about um, you know the old and the new. You know, they start talking. You know, obviously it's Scotty and Jordy, the old engineer and the new engineer. Um, I mean, I think we touched on the, a lot of the themes about that during our conversation. So, yeah. 
right, being cool. useful. Cool. All right, so let's move on to... Six Degrees for Relics. Steve? Yes. I know I've asked about some of these guys before, but today was tough for the, you know, our normal Six Degrees questions are asking about actors that have played different roles in different Star Treks. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult today because there wasn't a lot of overlap, or the one, and when there was, it was someone that I've asked about before. So if I've asked about some of these episodes, I'm at least giving you a different question, so sorry about that. But here we go. Eric Weiss, Eric Weiss plays Ensign Kane, the ensign that shows Scotty how to use his replicator, but doesn't give a hoot about his old stories. In DS9's second season, he played Steven in the episode Paradise. In this episode, he steals a candle. What is his punishment? Oh, I think that's one with the like the hot box or whatever, where they put him in that box or something. You are correct. He's placed in the punishment box. Mr. Caesar, uh, Jimmy Doon plays the legendary Mr. Scott. He's the fourth actor to reprise his role from the original series, named the other three. And I'm giving you this question because you already answered two of the three uh, when you started talking about the episode. Um, Leonard Nimoy, obviously. Yes. Yes. Um, Forrest Kelly. Yes. Who is the thir- third in the series, right? Yeah, someone who was in the original series as a character and then came back and played that same character in Next Gen, and he did it in more than one episode. In fact, one of those episodes was the name of the, the title of the episode was his character's name. That's about as good a hint as I can give you. It, it was in Next Gen, right? So he's in. So so he was in the original series, and he's in Next Gen. So it's not necessarily main character, right? Right, and he was in the movies as well. Oh, okay. Um, that's Sarek. What is his name? Mark. Uh, yes, Mark. What? <laughs> <laughs> Mark. Something. Something. Uh, I can sit here for waste more time. You can go to have a Steven. Um, Mark Leonard? Yes, Mark Leonard. Uh, yeah, I don't think I can give you that one, Caesar, because... Uh, That's fine. I would have taken just a last name, but just a first name. Mm. It's quite all right. All right, moving on. Schisms, Season 6, Episode 5, Production Number 231. Original air date, October 19th, 1992. Directed by Robert Weimer. Story by Jean-Louis Mathias and Ron Wilkerson. Teleplay by Brandon Braga. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Lene Chapman as Sariel Rager. Ken Thorley as Mott. Angelina Fiordalisi as Kaminer, Scott T. Trost as Lieutenant Shipley, Angelo McCabe as Crewman, John Nelson as Medical Technician, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. Several crew members begin to experience strange symptoms. Riker struggles with overwhelming exhaustion, Worf with feelings of anxiety, Geordi experiences sharp pains, and even Data experiences a loss of time. Jordy realizes that everyone who is affected has had contact with the cargo bay. He orders an investigation of the premises and soon discovers that a strange subspace force exists in the room. You were lying on the table. You had a bright light shining in your eyes. Were there any smells in the room? Were there any sounds? Yes. Yes, there was a sound. 
Schisms. Steve, start us off on schisms. Well, um, I think what I remember most about the episode is the ode to Spot. Um, but I do remember it's it's kind of a fun uh, mystery reconstructing you know what they're all going through it's creepy uh, you know it's certainly creepy where they they uh, piece by piece um, reconstruct this as essentially like a torture chamber or lab or whatever they are and so mm-hmm. that's interesting um, I certainly remember the episode it's, it's it seems memorable I think for those reasons yeah the concept of um, space travelers being abducted by aliens is kind of <laughs> clever <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that table scene. I always have. Mm-hmm. I always remember that's a it's a really neat kind of gag to have them all like, you know, describing these bits and the computers putting it together. And it is creepy. Um I think it could have been even creepier, but um I, I do remember that the best. You know it's funny? Sometimes I always kinda of confuse briefly and when I'm watching this episode, I briefly confuse it with the remember the Voyager episode? Yeah, where, yeah, yeah. Like like Janeway has a headache. You know, and somebody can eventually kind of see what's really, there's really stuff like all over her head and stuff, and, but you can't see it. Mm-hmm. That's, oh, yeah. I, I briefly yeah. confused this episode with that one. <laughs> like whenever I see Riker having trouble sleeping and stuff. But <laughs> um, I love I love the bit where he goes to, I think that should have been played in a little bit differently too. That could have been much better. It was cool on paper. When Riker goes to bed and he, he asks uh, Jordy to wake him up at seven, he goes to bed and then Jordy comes and knocks on the door and it's seven. Um, I think that could have been played even better, you know, if it had been mm-hmm. done slightly differently. Uh, but that, that's a that's a cool bit. Um, I think ultimately what kind of holds this episode back is is the ending with the aliens. Um, I don't know. It, it it falls a little bit flat there. It's not it's not as creepy as the setup. I yeah, guess is what yeah. I'm getting at. You know. Um, I didn't. I did. I didn't want them to do like the crazy camera lens stuff like they've done in some, you know, in the dreams and stuff in other episodes we've talked about. But I don't know. Just something a little bit more than um, fishmen, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've I've seen some some fish that maybe could have been scary, but then I ate them and they were tasty. So it kinda, <laughs> it's hard to be scared by fishmen. I think, um, but that aside, the, the bit in the in the in the holodeck is pretty creepy. And the, when they bring in the clicks and stuff, I like it. I like that that bit. Um, and then yeah, Ode to Spot is 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 pretty funny. Is that is that before or after the main titles? The main titles in this episode. That's not during the teaser, is it? Say what now? Uh, the, Data's poem, his poetry reading. Oh, is that bef- I think it is. It's before the. Yeah, it's in the teaser. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. That's a. It's like a long poem too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a long yeah. teaser. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting how it goes because it just it just wraps and they just fade out. You know, it's a weird. There's no nothing climatic about it. You know, it's it's. Oh right, yeah. I wonder. I I I look, tried looking it up and I couldn't find definitively otherwise. But I guess Braga wrote that poem. Because I couldn't find anywhere where it said somebody else did it. I was surprised about that. Because it seemed so techni- technical that I was surprised. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway. Um, I think that... 
overall, this episode, this is one of those ones where it uh, maybe didn't hold up as well. Like, I remember liking it more than I liked it this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that what you were kind of getting at, too? I think so. I would agree with that assessment. I mean, I'm, I would say it's it's it is it's somewhat entertaining, you know. I think because of the whole mystery element, but there's not a whole lot. There's not a lot of meat to it or anything, you know. Adam, um, I I, I don't remember really, you know, liking it a whole bunch way back when. And it's probably about the same now. It's a to me, it's a. It's an okay episode. I mean, it's not like I'm just going to automatically flip the channel if I see that episode on like others, but, um, you know, it's it's got its moments, but overall I would call it basically a mediocre episode. Hmm. Wow, we don't have a lot to say about this one. <laughs> oh, we just, uh, we're out of practice. We've been doing this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's this work? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, if you think about it, I mean, how does it drive any of the characters forward? I mean, you know, yeah, there's a mystery and there's, you know, a lot of creepiness and, you know, there's kind of some cool themes going on in there, but... There's one funny thing in this episode that I don't... I think it's unintentionally funny, but there's one funny thing. Um, you know, kind of near the end, uh, they start to realize that people are being abducted and Picard asks the computer to account for the crewmen and the computer says, there are two crew members missing from the ship. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like... He had to ask. Yeah, yeah, I made a note about this. It's like really that'd be a, might be a good idea, you know, to like Just tell you automatically. Well, hard to, yeah, to set up this, uh, some kind of system for the computer, you know, to mention it if suddenly somebody's gone. From the yeah, I, th- I think I could like tell Siri on my iPhone to do that now. <laughs> set up a house. So, Siri, you know? set up a geofence around the enterprise. <laughs> <laughs> if anybody leaves, let me know. <laughs> yeah, that was that was kind of. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I didn't quite understand why the one guy gets like killed. Uh, yeah, it's went a little too far, I guess, in that guy. Yeah, well, it seems like they're going out of their way to like abduct people and then you know do crazy stuff to them, like take their arm off and put it back on, uh, so that you can't quite tell what yeah, they've done. Yeah. But you know, killing somebody—that's something that we're probably going to notice. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if they hadn't already been on to him, there probably an investigation would have ensued at his blood turning into a polymer or whatever. <laughs> yeah, <that's Yeah>. Just... <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird, too. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah, this episode, it, it has a lot of massive technobabble. I mean, mm-hmm. big-time technobabble. What they're doing in the cargo bay, what they've done in their own environment, you know, transforming it into whatever, and, and the anomaly that's in the cargo bay. I mean, there's a lot of technobabble in this episode. And it's kind of weird. It's one of the things I was thinking about when I was watching this one is it's 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 still so remarkable to me that Next Gen, DS9, Voyager, and even Enterprise, maybe to a slightly lesser extent, but still Enterprise, you know, put this thing in my mind where part of Star Trek is technobabble. Um but then J.J. Abrams' movies said, nope, this is Star Trek, and it doesn't have it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and because nothing else has really done it like this, uh, it's one of the... It's, it's, it's something that, in an odd way, is... I don't want to... Saying something is dated has, like, a negative connotation. I don't necessarily mean it in a negative connotation yet. <laughs> because that's what dated is. Yeah. Um, but it, it is starting to make starting to make the show feel um, 
you know, like it's from another time, which it kind of is. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's different. You know, I mean, I think some of this stuff. It's you. It be you know. You can't really say for sure like where we're going to be in twenty years in terms of what's, you know, what kind of language is used in these kind of contexts. You know, I mean, it's just a different way of approaching it. You know, I mean, I understand the notion of you know, if you have less techno babble, you can get more at the heart of the characters. That's what's important in the show and so on too. But you know, I mean, it's also an, an part of the environment to some extent. You know, it, there's it's just this is what it's like. I mean, yeah, you run you run in the ground and all you're doing is rambling on nonsense. You know, that's no good either. But you know, there's definitely a balance you have to strike with it. Um, it's part of the reason that J.J. Abrams' movies get away with it. It's just because they're movies. You know, um, and in episodic television. <laughs> Because of the way the, these Star Trek shows are structured, they do have these, you know, technical problems. Um, I, I don't know. I guess an easier way to ask that question is: if they made a new Star Trek television show today, do you think it would have even half this amount of techno babble? I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could use maybe Battlestar as maybe an example. How much techno well, Battlestar didn't do techno babble? Did a little bit, a, a tiny, tiny bit that. Doesn't even warrant using that term. I, don't think. I think. I think if right now they started a television series, I think it would have more than the recent movies, but not as much as this. I think. It, I think it would be a, a little bit of a balance, you know, just because yeah. it, it would. There'd have to be. It wouldn't have to be, but I think there'd be a little bit of a vibe that it's just like, okay, you know, we're we're putting on forty-five minutes a week and so on. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, see, I, when we so when I started watching this episode. As, you know, I'm, I'm basically so we're doing three episodes every couple of weeks, and you know I'm playing like one for my wife. We're just making the time to do like mm-hmm. like one, right? So this time it was pretty clear that it was relics, but then you know, and she enjoyed that. But then I started watching as soon as I started watching schisms, I was like, oh yeah, this one has the scene in the holodeck that's so good. I remember it being so creepy. You know, when I first started it, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, and so then I'm seven seconds. You know, like maybe I should have played her this one. I don't know. It's too late now, but maybe. Uh, but then we got into such incredible amounts of techno babble mm-hmm. that I realized she would have fallen asleep. I mean, she, <laughs> like, not just no interest, but like it would bore. Her. It would have massively bored her. The mm-hmm. cargo bay scenes, the scenes uh, where they're talking about their plan and and and, and what the aliens are doing. You know. Well, and I can't at- blame her for that. But it's not that it would have been less boring twenty years ago. I just think that we wouldn't have been as hyper-aware of it, that's all. Mm. Well, for an episode like Relic, where the science is actually kind of cool, you have this Dyson sphere, they're talking about how they, um, you know, Scotty was able to survive for 75 years. That's where the technobabble can enhance what's going on when the science is interesting. The science wasn't all that interesting in this episode. I mean, yeah, there was an interdimensional thing they could have just really just could have glossed over or over it where in relics it's kind of needed because there's some sign you know you're explaining how scotty lived this long you're explaining what this giant ball in space is so that's where to me the technical babble come you know it can aid you in this episode it really wasn't needed because they're not explaining like you know science that's all you know very interesting science basically so you could have saved yourself some time in this episode and maybe done some other things without so much of the babble. I think what we should have gotten, just in the interest of balance, would have been if Mott had had some technobabble about like, <laughs> like his, his, his scissors or his razors, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, he starts to talk about 
Klingon hair. He could have gone yeah. into some detail mm-hmm. about the fineness of Klingon hair, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like how he was uh, he was actually cutting, but cutting nothing. You could hear the scissors. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The yeah. It, I was conscious of the fact that the scissors were on the other side, side of his head, so the camera couldn't see them when we heard those scissors sounds. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of amusing to picture Worf going get a haircut, you know. <laughs> I found that um, amusing. Well, favorite scene, real quick. Um, the creepiest one for me, it really wasn't the um, holodeck. It was more Riker getting sucked in. You know, you're you're laying in bed, you're about to go to sleep, and you get sucked into a little void. That to me, that's the, that was the creepiest part of, about this episode. Sucked into a rift. <laughs> <laughs> that's standard Act Three. Next gen. I like, like I said, I like the Ode to Spot thing just because it's it's such a a fun thing for the whole series as far as just related to this episode. I, I guess the holiday, like I said, I think it's interesting that whole reconstruction notion. Yeah, I like Ode to Spot, but I think what hurts it is I think I would have liked it in a lot more lighthearted episode. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It, yeah changed, it takes away from it in this episode, and the opposite is just as true too. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. being in this episode takes away from the episode. You know, you've got, you've got um, Riker, uh, you know, going to bed and immediately getting up when Jordy says, "Hey, it's seven. and then you play like the creepy music, and then you've got Worf mm-hmm. seeing Mott's scissors and just seeing the scissors, and we play the creepy music, you know, um, and then you've got Data's Ode to Spot poem. Right. Wait, <laughs> what? what episode is this? You know, I mean, it's still there's still a little bit of a narrative. They get away with it because it's still got the narrative in there. We see, um, we see Riker, you know, sleepy and stuff. Um, but I just think, uh, I think I would have been able to enjoy it more in another episode. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Maybe the first time you see this, you don't know that it's going to be this scary episode that it is, uh, and it doesn't. But after you've seen it, and then you see Riker tired. It's hard to laugh along with uh, everybody <laughs> as he reads that poem. But that's a minor comment. What's this episode about? Oh. Yeah. Standards of our show say we have no answer for what it's about. Uh, then it's an episode that doesn't hold up. Yeah. I concur with that assessment. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing, Mr. Caesar. Um, yeah, I had a hard time coming up with something because what I said earlier, I don't see how it kind of really moves any of the characters forward. It's not, I mean, at best you could call this a Riker episode, but I that's like a really big stretch. So, I mean, this episode doesn't really, um, to me, it doesn't move any of the characters forward. They're not, they're not changed or they don't grow or anything like that. In this ep- in this storyline, so it's hard for me to find anything what this is about. I mean, I could you know give you some. Yeah. I, mean, I can make something up, but I mean, I, don't <laughs> I think if if that end sequence had been scarier, uh, that would have that would have saved this episode for me, and you know it could have been a good episode. But as it stands now, it's an okay episode that has a couple of really good scenes, mm-hmm. you know, and couple of really good scenes do not a good episode make um but you know it's got enough in it that that i enjoy watching it so 
I love that holodeck scene. It is really creepy. And they're all putting that table together. The computer only has 5,000 variables for tables. Hmm. I know, you'd think there'd be more. Maybe somebody who programmed the computer has some against tables. Uh, let's move on to six degrees for schisms. Uh, Steve has two, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll give Adam the choice of whether he's going first or second. Um, I'll go first. Ken Thorley plays Moth the Barber, who promises to tread carefully near Worf's hair. Near the end of Next Gen's fifth season, he plays a seaman uh, losing at cards. Who wins? That'd be Data. You're correct. Time zero. Data beats him at cards. Steve, Scott Trust plays Lieutenant Shipley, helping Geordi's investigations in Cargo Bay 4. He played a Bajorn in the DS9 first season episode of Man Alone. This was Keiko's first appearance on DS9. What facility does she open on the station? Um, is it uh, a school? Yes, it was a school. I thought that was tricky because I didn't know you want to say like a, you know, um, arboretum or something. Or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, so three, one, moving on. True Q, season six, episode six, production number two thirty-two. Original air date November first, nineteen ninety-two. Directed by Robert Shearer. Story by Matthew Corey. Written by Renee Echeverria. Music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include John Delancey as Q, Olivia Dabo as Amanda Rogers, and John P. Connolly as Orn Lote. While working to save the planet Targa from environmental collapse due to pollution, the crew welcomes Amanda Rogers, a young honor student chosen from hundreds of applicants to serve aboard the USS Enterprise. The crew is immediately taken with the young woman's boundless enthusiasm. However, Amanda also has a secret she keeps hidden. She, she possesses extraordinary mental powers, including the ability to make objects appear simply by visualizing them. Amanda's a cue? How is that possible? Her, her parents, her biological parents, were human. Well, not exactly. They had assumed human form in order to visit Earth, I suppose, for, for amusement. But in vulgar human fashion, they proceeded to conceive a child. We've not seen Q in a while. It's been a year and a half, and there was no Q in season five. <laughs> uh, you know, they tried. They had several stories that just they couldn't get off the ground. Um, but... Uh, this is an interesting way to bring it about. Oh, another behind-the-scenes thing you got to mention. This was a, at least from a like a story. I don't think it was a pitch. I think it was like a you know one of the um, unsolicited scripts that they would receive at the time from like a seventeen-year-old. <laughs> I think they only used like the bare bones skeleton of the story, but still, that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't submitting scripts to Star Trek when I was 17, that's for sure. <laughs> I'm talking about what I was doing when I was 17. Um, so, anyway. Um, so they, they come up with a, a novel way to uh, have a Q episode that's, I don't know, it's, it's probably more about the continuum than it is about John Delancey's Q. Yeah. Um, but there's a little bit of, we, we analog, was it the first season when he made Riker a Q. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of that, those themes in there about what do you do if you have the ability, you know, to do anything. 
so there's a little bit of that in there. Um, what I remember the most from this episode actually is kind of Crusher's relationship with Amanda, which is really nice, you know. And I mean, it, it makes sense, um, you know, Crusher being a parent, and uh, but we don't see that sort of thing very often. I can't think of any other example where they took advantage of that, even though it does make sense. I don't remember another episode where, you know, Crusher had quite this kind of relationship. So that was nice. And, mm-hmm. it, and if you and if you question that that was not, it was an important part of this episode, look at the very end when she brings, when Amanda brings Crusher onto the bridge so that she can say goodbye. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, what are your guys' uh, first thoughts on this one? Um, I, I really enjoy all the Q episodes. I think this one's really good. Um, I think you're right. We get a little bit more more of a look into the continuum than probably we ever have to this point, you know, we get a little bit, you know, we hear about Amanda's parents who were actually Q and chose to be human and that Q can actually be killed. Um, so it kind of, you kind of see a little bit of uh, a kink in the Q continuum armor in this episode there. Um, they're not quite as perfect as you think. And they're not quite as, they're not all the same, you know, because when we, we see Q, we, this is only the only example we have of, of a Q being, and so we get, we don't see anymore. Well, obviously we see Amanda, we don't see, but we get to hear there's diversity in this species, and obviously we won't get to see more of that until Voyager. But this is kind of the beginning of that. Yeah, even just seeing that shadow, that one little scene where Q's in the hallway, and that shadow props up on the left and says, uh, "Progress Q" or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like that's another person from the continuum. You know, and they have, and they, the group, have this plan. We saw that a little bit with uh, the Corp and Brinson, but you know, this is a, this was a lot more. Well, you know, there's, there, yeah, there's, there's the scary side of the continuum, and then there's the comic side, and uh, you know, this seems like a conscious effort to go a little bit more on the scary side mm-hmm. <laughs> of these with these powerful, omnipotent creatures. Uh, than it is the comical side, which is what we've seen a lot more of, including the Corbin Burns and stuff. Uh, well, obviously, the, some of the scenes I enjoyed were with Picard and Q. I, I like the scene where um, Q actually tells Picard to stop being naive, which Picard kind of was. I mean, you know, he's like, I mean, we can't just allow any omnipotent being to run around the galaxy loose doing whatever they want. So it, it's, it almost seemed like a role reversal where Picard in the past has kind of had a little bit of moral authority. Q was actually making sense for the first time about, about hmm. this woman, Amanda. But obviously, they always have great scenes. Um, Stewart and Delance, they're, they're, yeah. they're, oh, yeah, they're yeah, yeah. well off each other. I love that. Well, I guess the last scene with them. Um, Picard has a really great speech, well-written speech, and then, mm-hmm. yeah, and, and Q says something like, you know, that's part of the reason I come here, is just to hear your great speech. <laughs> <laughs> but don't worry, we've already decided not to kill her, basically. You know, I, there, something I read, too, pointed out that this is the last time Q is, like, walking around the Enterprise. From now on, mm. the, next, the rest of the time we see Q on Next Gen, it's just him and Picard. Oh, yeah, well, mm-hmm, yeah. I like how they hint, he hints, and you know, when Picard mentions, you know, you put us on trial. I like the, you know, the little foreshadowing there. It's like the jury's still out on that. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. um, Olivia Diabo, Dabo, what's her name? Mm-hmm. 
problem. I think she's really good. Oh, yeah. You know? I think so, too. I think she's really good. I think that, that she sells this episode, and if it weren't for that, uh, it wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. She's really good. Was she in 24? Was she Bauer's wife at one point in that show, or am I just thinking crazy talk? Because I knew the 24 guy. Yeah, I love 24, but I don't remember her. Okay. You know, the one thing I remember, is- what I remember her best from was the Conan movie. Mm. She's she's the the princess in the Conan sequel from the early eighties. I remember in Wonder Years she was the older sister. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know where I remember she was in Eureka. My bad. She hmm. was uh, the uh, uh, okay. wife in Eureka. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. She's got a good name too. Uh, but yeah, she's fantastic here. I mean, she was really good. And if it wasn't for that, I think this episode flat out would not work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, she's she's young, pretty young here. So we talked about um, we've we've seen our share of next gen episodes that had young actors and actresses that didn't work because it's hard to find a good young actor. Uh, but she's good. She's really good. Um, I don't know what. Yeah, you guys. I, I don't like. I said I don't, it's hard to think of this episode as a Q episode. I never do. I almost don't even remember he's in it at first. I just I mean it's the, it's the Amanda episode. It's a continuum thing, but I I just don't think of it as a Q episode. And I mean when I say Q here, I'm talking about John Delancey Q. Well, um, since you bring that up, does that mean you know I mean, this episode really isn't even about any of the main characters? It's, you know, usually we have a complaint about that. Mm-hmm. Does this does it work in this episode? Well, we do get a lot of touching stuff with her and Crusher. We get. The Picard stuff, you know, that that makes a Q episode a Q episode. So we do get that. Um, what do you think about that, Steve? Um, I think I well, I, I do think it touches on a few of them, but it doesn't necessarily really advance any of our main characters. I think this is one of those kind of exceptions where you mentioned how good of an actor she is, and I think that's probably why you find it so crucial that she carried this off because it is about her. I mean, it's it's her story really, and. Uh, you know, and and she's so good at it, and it's so well written that it still works, even though none of our none of our prime primary cast are the focus are the focus of the episode. I don't know why, but I let out a little chuckle every time she would like when she would want to do a cue flash or whatever she was going to do. She would like wave her hands in front of her face. Yeah, it's like <laughs> reminded or something here. Yeah, yeah, well, it made me think of. Um... <laughs> This is stupid. <laughs> oh, one of those Saturday Night Live characters that had a movie. Super. She was like, she was like the was she a cheerleader or something. Uh, Star. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Smelling her armpits. Smelling her armpits. That's what it made me think of every time. Oh my gosh. I, I did still laugh Listeners out loud. I don't know what I'm talking about. That's probably too old for a lot of us. <laughs> I don't know why it makes me laugh, but when he turns um, Crusher into a dog, I, I just uh, yeah. Start, I just always get a chuckle on that. What makes that funny is that when he when when Amanda turns her back and then Q is just like, Yes, I agree with what you just <laughs> <laughs> That's what makes it funny. It's like she's she's not even aware. Yeah. yeah. It's a pretty dog though. I wonder I wonder <laughs> I wonder how McFadden felt about that. Because the dog's almost like you, know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying here? You know? <laughs> Never mind, I'll look at it. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, the episode is yet another reinforcement that Kansas equals tornadoes. Equals yes. Of Oz, you know, because, uh, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that is a little bit weird, you know. 
they they make that that story a little bit more palatable near the end when he says they were given the choice if they wanted to live as humans they just couldn't use their powers. It's interesting one that they you know if they can do anything can't they make shouldn't they be able to make another cube full totally human and they wouldn't even have powers. But mm. okay, forgetting that. But I just I like that they were given this choice um, and they must have you know, repeatedly kept using their powers anyway, thinking they'd get away with it, and then they were killed. You know, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you just meant there's an well, Q was made into a full-on human, so... Yeah, they yeah they did that. You're right. They flat out took those powers away. Early on in the series. Yeah, so I wonder... Well, they didn't take away his knowledge. You know, right. Those just... two living as humans there would still basically know everything, even if they didn't have those powers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well. Hmm. Yeah, it's yeah, a little vague. Amanda, you know, at least she didn't have like a little a scar on her forehead or something. <laughs> 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 Who knows? Maybe this inspired, you know. Okay, <laughs> Ron. Yeah. Cutivore. Yeah. Lord. That's what it made me that's that's what it made me do. Killing the parents and the, with the little baby and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um, I like the bit where she throws Q against the wall, like kinda of in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Not so much for that, but for the next moment when Q is in Picard's office and Q almost yeah. looks like shaken or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not used to that. That's kinda of cool. Um uh, is this episode about anything? You could say it's about um, knowing who you are and facing that, you know, facing the truth of who you are. I mean, there's some themes of that in there where she was talking about she's been denying the truth of who she was and she could no longer do that. Um, um, some of the stuff that I, I picked up there. I think also that this notion of the corruption of power, and not kind of like the traditional absolute power corrupts absolutely kind of routine, but more specifically, if you have the ability, if you have the power, you're going to encounter a situation where you're 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 going to want to use it, you know. And whether you're talking about individuals or or governments or whatever, I mean, you can't escape the fact that you have the power, you know. So if you're put enough into a far enough corner or someone you care about is threatened or whatever you're going to use it you know i i I think that that's somewhere in there the notion of not the corruption of power but the the the, you can't escape it you know your abilities you have them you know it and if you're put in a corner sooner or later sooner or later you're going to use it go ahead um there was an interesting moment when q um you know he's talking about different things that a Q a person could do. I mean, he mentioned spontaneous combustion of somebody. He looks at <laughs> yeah, he looks at he looks at Picard and be like, "This is what I'm talking about." She could go crazy and you know burn everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's interesting that um, you know, when he, he uh, Q is telling Amanda, you know, you can do anything. We we are omnipotent. We can do anything. Q. That's what that's who the Q continuum are. That's what it means. We can do anything. Um, and she says, "Do you help people?" And he's like. He's almost like confused. Like, I mean, that that doesn't even occur to us. That's not what we can do. Anything, anything our heart desires, anything we want. You know, it's almost a very like um, childish interpretation of these limitless abilities. But it makes you think. You know, what if 
all the members of the queue had been forced to spend their first like 15 years as a human <laughs> and learning <laughs> these kind of values and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then they go and become part of the continuum. I bet they would have all you know, wanted to help people and the whole universe would have been better for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Uh, instead, they they party all day. You right. know, whatever. Um, well, that's it's, a, well, it's the morphosis that we've seen with the Delance Q character. Is like, you know, if you look back to the first season, he was he's still arrogant and he's still fun, but you see you see the character changing. He is becoming more conscious of the things that he does around him and You'll definitely see that in Voyager. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Voyager, we definitely see Delancey's cue uh, getting grows. Yeah, yeah, it grows quite a bit. It's yeah. not just a one-dimensional character as we saw in the first season. All right, well, anything else you guys want to talk about in this one? I think we're good. All right. I like I like that she decides she's needs to go be with the cue. Mm-hmm. It always made sense to me. Okay, our score is 3-1. Adam? Yes. John Delancey will play Q three times this production year on both DS9 and Next Gen. Name either episode. Um, Name either of the other two episodes. Not this one. (laughs) um, Tapestry? Is that what it is? Yep, for no bonus points. Remember the other one? The Uh, the DS9 one? Oh... No, that's cue less. Cue less. Uh, Steve, Olivia Diabo plays Amanda Rogers. As I love to ask you, what type of card was her customizable card game card? And I have <laughs> was it a personnel card or an interrupt card or a tactic card? Mm, interrupt. Wow, good one. <laughs> I remember using using that a lot as an interrupt. So. I think <laughs> Was it the was she the was she because it because she fixed the warp core breach? Is that why it was an interrupt card? She well, nullified an interrupt. Okay. Yeah, there were various super powered beings and these kind of Q type of beings and they used them for different types of cards that, that had power to basically nullify other total card types, you know, that was one of them. Yeah, very powerful card. She was immune to other Amanda Rogers cards. <laughs> Uh, this is funny. I was I was looking that up, and have you heard? There's a site. I don't know anything about them, but it's up here's fan fan site like trekcc.org. Hmm. They've created. They just released like last month a whole new uh, McKee expansion set. They designed the cards and everything. They look like the cards you would just go buy, and then hmm. you just okay. download it, download them all, and you can print them um, and play a new game. And you can play it with just like just the very first set's rules with just those cards. It's pretty hmm. neat, actually. That's cool. If you're yeah. remotely into that card, that card game or any CCG in general, you should check them out. Hmm. Um, I want to take just one minute because I found this fascinating. So at the, at the Vegas thing, uh, Roger Lay was there, and I don't think he talked about this in a panel. Somebody else asked him or something. But remember those Fathom events. Did you hear about this? So the, the Fathom stuff, like, so every time they released a next-gen box set and like, yeah, for the first yeah. three seasons, they did the, the yeah. theatrical screening. And that last one, the Best of Both Worlds one, was great. It, the theater I went to had two huge AMC screens. I mean, the big, the big rooms. Two of them sold out. You know, they had talent come in and talk for a minute. It was really cool. And then nothing. They just dropped off. And we heard they were making all this money. So what happened? So 
all the people I saw people like online guessing well they may, maybe they weren't making all the money that people thought um, but he said the reason was they were getting into trouble with the unions because all the deals, the writers' guild, the directors' guild, all this stuff for these things were only signed up for television, mm-hmm. and uh, they weren't going to be able to get away with screening it in theaters anymore. Even though you would think the Fathom thing almost shouldn't count because that's almost like playing a TV episode there. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? It's not like a real DCP theatrical thousand screen, two thousand, three thousand screen distribution. It's not like that. But regardless. Uh, the royalties were just going to cost them too much. Even if they sold it like every screen, it was just too much trouble and cost to do it. And that was really interesting to me. I didn't know. And it sucks too, because in a way that was a really cool like marketing ploy too. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, there's a new fathom event. You'd see the signs at the theater. Like, okay, there must be another box set coming out. Yeah. True. So I thought that was really interesting. I was reading and, and trying to read up some of the stuff. We didn't go to Vegas this year, you know, of course, but trying to read some of the stuff. And they talked a little bit about, um, you know, finishing out Next Gen's final season on Blu-ray, you know, this November, December. Um, but still keeping the possibility open about DS9. Um, they haven't definitively said no, but they have definitely not said yes. And it is definitely not set up for them to do an HD transfer of DS9 anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what the threshold is for sales on the Next Gen Blu-rays, but, you know, I mean, that's really what they're looking at. Um, cause it, unlike next gen, you know, where for the most part they've had all these plates that were shot with the effects. So it was just a question of, comp- you know, compositing stuff on DS nine. By the time you get in the third or fourth season, everything was CG. So all that stuff would just have to be completely recreated from scratch. So it would cost a lot more than the next gen. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, as a DS nine nut, of course, I'm like, if I could pick one show, it wouldn't have been next gen. <laughs> right. It would have been DS9. But I, I totally understand why. Yeah. I, I really wish that, and I think you mentioned this in the past, I think this is the perfect example of the kind of thing, like a Kickstarter kind of thing or whatever you want to call it, where if you could do some kind of pre-order thing for a special deal. Because I think, you know, I, I get the notion of let's see how the sales are on this, but it's not directly related either. You know, it's not like they're, they're the exact same bunch. So you can't predict exactly how many people are going to go out and purchase the first season DS9 if they make it as just because of what the sales are for the seventh season of Next Gen or the total set yeah. of Next Gen or I don't know. It's whatever. I'd be curious to see, like, how many unit sales they got of season six or seven versus one or two. Mm. You know, one and two, everybody would agree the later seasons are better than the first couple of seasons, mm-hmm. but there was probably more, uh, you know, there's in this sort of thing, there's always a drop-off yeah. in interest, always. Yeah. So, um, I'd be interested to see, I just assume the first couple of seasons sold better, you know, and, and I would assume that they would assume, uh, you know, CBS would assume that, that DS9 is not going to sell as well as mm-hmm. Next Gen. Right. Um, but, even if it didn't sell as well, if you get people to commit to multiple seasons up front, mm-hmm. then you would think, you know, if you, if you can, if you can, ahead of time say we're not going to have that drop off that everything always seems to have, because we got people to commit to multiple seasons, you know, then even if you only got half of the projected sales up front or a quarter, you know, it would seem like it would be could be worth it. Um, what 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 concerns me is that now is the time. The team is in place. They're experienced. They've yeah. they've got all these pieces. Just do it, you know, and it's going to cost a lot more time and money, and maybe the product won't be as good if they wait. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh well. <sighs> Maybe someday. <laughs> um, thanks so much for joining us for an hour. Oh, or this episode is going to be a lot longer than an hour. <laughs> Thank, thanks, Jimmy. Um, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, I'm excited. In a couple of weeks, there's an, a couple episodes that I'm looking forward to talking about. Um, Till then, you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. Um, you can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. So until next time, take it easy. Good night. See you. I passed it.